0: For the last year, we have been living in some strange times, haven't we? A year ago, I arrived here at Bailey Road Baptist Church, preached my first sermon. None of you were here. Not a one of you. Well, one of you, Trevor, was here. Mike was here. But that was it. There was a camera. I think many of you were watching. it was weird. I will be completely open. I didn't know what to do. If you've never, I mean, it's, it, it's one thing to stand. I know people have a uh, a fear of public speaking, right? How many have a fear of public speaking? You're like, I don't want to do that. It's awful. I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's like the dumbest thing ever. I don't know why we do it, um, but we do it and uh, you get used to it, I suppose. But You put a camera in front of you and it multiplies it by 10. It's like, uh, it's like 10 times worse. I'm telling you. Because like right now, I can see your faces. Okay. Some of you are scary. It's okay. It's all right. But you don't, when you get a laugh, that makes it better. But when you say something like that to a camera, you don't get a laugh. Cameras don't laugh. They don't cry. You get no emotions from a camera. And Trevor can only laugh so much. Mike doesn't laugh at all. <laughs> doesn't matter how funny I am or I'm not. It matters not. But the camera, you get nothing. Nothing at all. And so here we are preaching to a camera week after week. And you know this. You know this, after so long, you just stop making plans. You're just like, well, I don't know. When we started off, it's going to be two weeks. I remember talking to my wife. I said, honey, we can do anything for two weeks. How many of you, have, anybody else say that? We can do anything for two weeks. And here we are, a year later trying to figure out, how are we going to have Easter? Struggling to figure out, how are we going to, how are we going to celebrate our risen Savior and, and do it in a socially responsible way? Do it safely in the midst of a pandemic. You know what I found in the midst of this? People are searching. People want hope. People want hope. I want hope. Isn't that something? As people, we just simply want something to hope in, want something to trust in. Some people turn to a bottle, whether in liquid form or pill form just to try to find some peace of mind or to try to find some sense of pleasure. We turn to that. They try to smoke themselves to settle nerves. We live in a culture and a society that is seeking ever to the next get-rich-quick scheme. We figure if we'll... If we could just get a little bit more money, it would solve everything. You know what some of the richest people in the world have found? Money solves nothing. See, see, those of us without that, we, we look at it and say, no, 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 it'll solve everything. But there is no void in one's soul that a dollar bill can fill. But I like what one old preacher said. He said, I know where a poor man has a chance. Isn't that wonderful? I'm going to tell you right now, there's only one place in this world where a poor man has a chance. I was talking to an elderly woman on the phone the other day. She was, oh, she told me how old she was. I can't remember. She was either 76 or 77. And I asked her, I said, ma'am, I said, is there anything else I can do for you today? And 76 or 77, I don't remember. Oh, I wish I could remember, but she was up there. And you know what she asked me? She said, "Could, could I get the winning lotto numbers from you? And I said, well, I have last week's. Would that work? And she, she said, well, no, that won't work at all. I said, well, it's the only ones I've got. But, you know, even at 76 years old, and I don't know if she was, you know, just making conversation or trying to be funny like I try to do from time to time, but or if she was really, you know, still seeking to make another dollar trying to fill that void. There's only one place where a poor man has a chance. The old preacher said, I know where a sick man can get well. He said, I know where an ignorant man can become wise. Wouldn't that be nice? He said, I know where a bad man can become good, and a good man can be made even better. I know a place where a dead man can be made alive. That is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen, there is a place and a promise in the empty tomb that we have this morning that we hold that you may not even know exists, it does because that tomb is empty there's hope for you because the tomb is empty hope is alive because Jesus is alive because the tomb is empty because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead there's a great hope oh the devil thought he had him For three days, Jesus lay in the grave. His body was there. But I tell you, in order for that tomb to be empty, there had to be a cross. There had to be a cross first. You see, Jesus came to this earth from heaven. He came in a way that no other man had come before. He came by way of a virgin named Mary. As the angel came and told of his birth, no one had ever come that way before. She declared, be it unto me. Be it unto me. Jesus came, born of a virgin walked on this earth, never one time did he sin. Never once. Around 30 years of age, Jesus attended a wedding. His mother was there. They ran out of wine. They said, what do we do? She said, I know. Ask my son. performed his first miracle, turned the water into wine, began his public ministry. From that point on, he went, was baptized of John the Baptist. At his baptism, God the Father spoke from heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. At that point, Jesus began to draw a crowd. Everywhere he went, people followed. He selected 12 men, though, to follow closely. In those 12, there were three that followed even closer. Those 12 men would follow and walk with Jesus for Over three years. Wherever Jesus went, he changed lives. He would go to one town, and there'd be somebody there that was blind. He'd touch their eyes, and they could see. The next town, someone deaf. He'd touch ears, they could hear. He would heal disease. He would heal all kinds of things. There was one time, oh my goodness, there was one time he was just walking through town, all kinds of people around him. And somebody touched him, just touched his coat. And she was healed. And he stopped. And He said, who touched me? His disciples thought it was a silly question. Because several people had touched him, and he said, "No, this was different. This was much different. Who touched me?" He said, "This touch took the virtue out of me." She was so nervous she began to speak up and told her story. She said, "It was me, sir. It was me." The disciples saw that. Those three disciples that walked close to Jesus, not only did they see that on that day, but Jesus took them into a house right after that woman touched and was healed. Jesus took them into a house where a little girl had just died. Jesus raised her from the dead. Oh, they saw a lot. Oh, they saw a lot. They saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, two different times. Not once, but he did it twice. Oh, they saw Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. But along the way, he told them, they're going to take my life. They're gonna take it from me. I'm gonna leave you. And they said, No. No. Said, yeah. He told them, You're you're not gonna you're gonna depart from me. And they said, Well never. Well, the day came. It finally came. The day that he had been talking about. They gathered together, had supper. Well, in case you're wondering, Judas ate too. He was there as well. Jesus did not exclude him. He was there. He told him, There's one of you that's going to betray me. And Judas did. Jesus was arrested. And in his arrest, they put him on trial and people came and lied. And you know what? You know what I've learned about people? No one. I haven't met anyone yet that likes to be lied about. You want to see somebody fight? Lie about them. You want to see somebody get upset? I mean, you can do a lot of things to a lot of people. But lie about somebody. Say somebody said something they didn't say. You'll see, you'll see some people come unglued. Am I right? How I many you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. You know. Some of you are those people, and I'm not lying. Because we want the truth. Well, you look here, they went in and they're telling stories about Jesus. And you know what he said? Nothing. He didn't give a defense. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't try to say, nope, that's not true. He said nothing. The next day, they took him to stand trial. And more people came and told more lies. And the judge and the governor asked, they said, Aren't you the king of the Jews? Jesus just simply said, well, if you say so. He said, well, I'm saying so. He said, do you have anything to say for yourself? Jesus didn't say a word. And he said, don't you know what they're saying? And He remained silent. And they continued to spread lies. Pilate said, "What would you have me do with the king of the Jews?" He asked the crowd of people that had gathered around at this time of feast, and the crowd cried out, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" Pilate said, "Why?" what evil has he done? You know, the crowd didn't answer that question. They just cried even louder by saying, crucify him, crucify him. The reason they didn't answer the question because they couldn't. Because there was no evil that he had done. But listen, in order for there to be an empty tomb, Jesus had to go to the cross. It was on the cross after Jesus had had a crown of thorns put on his head. After they had ripped his clothes off of him. After they had beaten him with a whip. After his flesh from his back had been brutally ripped from him. Body bruised, his blood shed. They took one arm and they threw it against the cross, and they drove a nail into his hand. They took his other arm and threw it against the cross, and they drove another nail. And one foot over the other, and they drove a nail through his feet. They took the cross and they threw it upright and placed his cross between two thieves. Just as they sang, the man in the middle. As he stood, hanging on a cross, looking over the crowd as the crowd stood there and mocked in disgust, in anger and disdain, Asking questions like, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Come down off that cross. Oh. Jesus just hung. there Until eventually his head dropped. And the Bible describes it as him giving up the ghost. The centurion, a leader of soldiers, standing by, over giving watch to the body of Jesus, gave this testimony. The centurion soldier, in charge of watching all of this, He watched the crowd. He watched Jesus. He participated in this act. His testimony, he said, surely, surely, this was the Son of God. Jesus was dead. But in order for there to be an empty tomb, there had to be the cross. I submit to you number two this morning, in order for there to be an empty tomb, there had to be a full tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man that was a follower of Jesus, came and begged for, from Pilate, the body of Jesus. He said, you know, the Sabbath is coming and we're not going to be able to do anything I need the body of Jesus, can I have it? I am going to bury it in my tomb. Pilate amazed that Jesus was already dead in just a few hours after his crucifixion. After confirming Jesus' death, agreed that Joseph could have the body of Jesus. Joseph took, prepared the body in the grave clothes, wrapped, clothed, placed the body of Jesus in the tomb. They sealed it. As Jewish custom, they went on through to the Sabbath day. Everyone went into a complete rest, waiting for the Sabbath to be over. He so said, we must wait. Wait. Jesus' body laid there. Again, if you would ask the disciples a couple of days prior, what do you have planned for next week? They would have told you. They had plans. What are you going to do next month? Where are you going? What are you going to do? Well, they had plans you would have asked them that day, what do you have planned? Nothing. It's done. And while their lives were still going, their lives were over. They mourned and they wept. Three days. Three nights. They didn't know what they were going to do. They had no hope. But you know, While the body of Jesus lay there, the spirit of Jesus was at work. The Bible describes to us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus took that blood that he shed while his body lay there. The blood that he shed was taken to a place not made with hands. Amen placed upon the mercy seat of God to cover something, to satisfy something, to make atonement for something. You see, Jesus did not just die for no reason. Jesus was not just buried into a tomb for no reason. You see, in order for there to be an empty tomb, there had to be a cross. In order for there to be an empty tomb, there had to be a full tomb. May I say to you, number three, in order for there to be an empty tomb, there had to be a sinner worth dying for. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Can I just tell you? You are that center. I am that center. Collectively, we we are that center. Because if, if it was just us, no one else, Jesus still would have gone to the cross. Jesus still would have been buried in that tomb. Still would have shed his blood. Still would have placed that sacrifice so that you and I could have eternal life. Plain and simple. You and I would have been worth it. But the fact of the matter is this, whether you and I are saints or whether you and I are sinners, there's more than just us. The Bible describes that all men, all women, all boys, all girls are sinners. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. When He gave his life on the cross of Calvary and was buried in that tomb. He paid the penalty, that penalty of death, done. Paid the penalty for you and me. Penalty paid. God said, satisfied. But it wasn't over there because it wasn't just about the cross. It wasn't just about the tomb. In order for the tomb to be empty, there had to be a sinner worth rising for. Amen. Can I just tell you, without the resurrection, there's no power to that death. Amen. The resurrection is what gives us the power and is what gives us the gift of eternal life. When Jesus came out of the tomb, that is what gives us the gift of eternal life. His death made the payment. His death paid the payment. His death satisfied the wrath of God. But It was his resurrection that gives the gift of eternal life. The gift that God says, everyone, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was that gift. It was that love that God gave on that day that we're here to celebrate today. That's Easter. That's the resurrection. The power of God unto salvation that the Bible talks about. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. The old preacher said, I know a place where a poor man, it's the empty tomb. Where a sick man, it's the empty tomb. Where an ignorant man, it's the empty tomb. Hey, I don't know what your issue is today, but I tell you, Jesus has the answer. I tell you, the place of the empty tomb has the answer. I tell you, I've been there. Been there. I've been to the place of need. It's an eight year old boy. Somebody said, You're a sinner. And you know what? Eight year old boys know how to sin. You want to know the only difference between an eight-year-old boy and a 38-year-old boy is 38-year-old boys know how to sin better. That's the only difference. That's the only difference. Guess what? Jesus died for both of them. But I, was, I just happened to be eight years old when somebody told me You might be hearing this for the first time. I have no idea. But I know this, Jesus died to save you just like he died to save me. You say, preacher, you think you're better than me? Absolutely not. I know I'm not. I promise you I'm not. The only difference, I know Jesus died to save me. And I'm trying to tell you The only difference. Here's Here's the application of Easter, folks. We have two applications for Easter. First application is this, and I'm finished. Number one application Jesus Christ died to save you. And you need a Savior. That's it. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to. That's the application of Easter. You say, okay, I need to do that. Well, we have folks that can help you do that. We want to we do that. We want to introduce you to that. It's a wonderful thing. You say, all right, that's the first application. What's the second application? Well, the second application is if you already know Jesus Christ as your savior. I want you to see something in the passage we've been in, in Mark chapter 16. Remember the angel that the women went to? They found him and he said, ye seek Jesus, which was crucified, he's risen, he's not here, behold the place where they laid him. Verse number six, he said in verse number seven, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter, He goeth before you into Galilee, there shall ye see him. That's a promise, by the way. He says again, Jesus finally reveals himself. He tells his disciples they should have believed in verse number 14. Then in verse number 15, he says unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. Here's the second application of Easter. For those of us that already know that Jesus died to save us, we have a responsibility to go and tell. Plain and simple. That's the application. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, trust Him. To empty tomb full of promises for you. If you do know Jesus Christ as your Savior, tell someone else who doesn't know. That's the application of Easter. So you have two responses today. Trust Jesus. But here's the thing. If you trust Jesus, guess what? You have the second application as soon as you do number one. This is really easy. Number one, trust. Number two, go and tell. That's what they did. That's what we are to do. That is what Easter is all about. Simply telling someone else that Jesus Christ is risen. Love every head bowed, every eye closed.